it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and thanks to Cryer Malt, this is Beer is a Conversation, our weekly sit-down with the people shaping the beer industry, and through these conversations, we dig a little deeper into the stories behind the business of beer and brewing. The Australian brewing landscape is evolving rapidly, and here we try and make sense of what's happening and to better understand the issues shaping the industry. And this week, we catch up with Ali McDonald, lead brewer with Malt Shovel Brewers and also Australian president of the Pink Boots Society. Like many craft brewers who found their inspiration to do what they do back in the early 2000s, Ali had her beer epiphany when she travelled through Europe and discovered beer that was different to what she knew at home in Australia. Through a role in the Royal Agricultural Society of New South Wales, she not only became the chief steward for its New South Wales Beer Awards, she also found great support to pursue her ambition to study to become a brewer, which has seen her progress to her current role as lead brewer for Malt Shovel. We talk about her career, what she's learned and the changes she's seen, and also about Pink Boots Australia and what she would like to see change through that organisation as well. It's a great chat and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Well, Ali McDonald, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to finally be here. Yeah, look, this is one of those chats. Lockdown has given me so many chances to conversations I've been wanting to put off until, you know, it sounds odd, until the moment was right, you know, when you can actually sit down in in the room or, you know, you, you want to actually have the conversation in a controlled setting. But all of us are redoing this as, as we go and so this is a great chance to have the, the conversation I wanted to have with you for a long time. Yeah it's I'm so excited to catch up as well because it's been far too long between chats and between drinks. As I said in the intro you are the lead brewer for Malt Trouble Brewing. How have you guys been before we even go back to the Ali McDonald story how have you guys been coping with uh, lockdown and uh, you know, running the brewery whilst uh, being you know, responsibly isolated? Yeah, so I kind of describe it as we've been in a bubble because um, we've had non-essential staff leave the brewery, so they're working from home, and then it's just been myself and the brewers there. So uh, we've had to switch everything to packaging, obviously, and we've been quite busy, but then it's also putting in those restrictions such as making sure our shifts don't overlap, um, making sure we keep distance where we can, um, having virtual meetings. So sometimes even if we're all in the office, we'll still have it virtually so we can still keep distance from each other and just, you know, making sure we're well stocked with soap and hand sanitizer and those kind of things. So it's for me, the main priority is just making sure that everyone has been safe and that I've been able to put in as many precautions as I can to keep everyone safe. I'm just pleased to hear that brewers are regarded as essential services in a brewery, you know, as, as <laughs> essential <laughs> staff in a brewery. Who's not an essential uh, you know, member of the brewery? Um, that's a good question. Well, this, and this isn't a pejorative question. We're not saying, saying they're not essential to the process, but just... Uh, it's, you know, it's, bas- it's basically anyone who's not hands-on brewing or packaging. So anyone who can do... who's can do their job from home is doing it from home 
and those of us who are hands-on are in the brewery. So that's probably the good definition rather than calling out people and their roles. <laughs> if you can do your role from home, you do it from home. But if you are hands-on, you're in the brewery. <laughs> so well, let, let's step back a little bit and, you know, so. Sort of- Get the Ali McDonald story because we first met, um, you know, it, it, God, in dog years. I don't want to even <laughs> think of how long it is. Um, but, it, you know, I was editing uh, a little startup beer publication called Beer and Brewer in those days. And you were the chief steward for the New South Wales. The, and what's the equivalent of the, the RNA? Um, in? Royal, Royal Agricultural Society of New South Wales. RIS, that's it. Yeah. 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 And, and so, you were the chief steward for their new beer competition. Yes. So I guess my story probably even goes back a little further than that in terms of my brewing story. So I was working at the um, Royal Agricultural Society of New South Wales and they actually put on each year the Sydney Easter Show, which is their big event. And then they also put on um, all the fine food and wine shows and the beer shows. So I was working there and I started working there for nine months of the year as a casual and I'd have three months of the year off. So I spent those three months um, over in the UK visiting my brother who lived there and um, going around Europe. And while I was there, my brother's local was this bar called the Micro Bar and they specialised in beers from microbreweries around the world. And that was kind of my epiphany moment of discovering beer because Alex, who ran the bar, you know, he stopped things like um, steam beer from... Anchor Brewing Company, it's like it was a style I'd never heard of. And meantime, coffee porter and chocolate porter. And I was like, you can have you can have these flavours in a beer. And um, lambic beers, I was like, you can have fruit in a beer. So <laughs> I, it, it literally just blew my mind that these kind of beers um, existed. So I came back to Australia. I, I did two summers um, just travelling over there. And I came back to Australia and... Um, I picked up a full-time role with the RAS and I kind of started thinking about, you know, maybe one day I could I could run a bar like that um, in Sydney. And then that actually made me think about, well, I don't just want to run that bar. I would like to brew the beers for that bar and learn about brewing and how, how this all happens. And so I literally Googled brewing courses and I found one at Ballarat University, which is now Federation University. So it was via distance education. So I was like, that's great. I could still work. And I applied and I was successful and I got in. So it meant while I was at the RSA, I started studying and they were so nurturing of my career aspirations. And I remember the HR manager at the time was like, we know this isn't your forever role but we want to support you to get where you want to go to. So when they started Beer Show and I was showed all this interest, um, they were really supportive of me taking on the role of Chief Steward and spending some time working on the Beer Show to get that going. So it was a really exciting time for me because I was really starting to learn about beer and um, meet fantastic people like yourself. (laughs) No, thank you very much. (laughs) I loved beer, and you know, my pathway was a, very much the same as as yours. You know, I discovered you know Belgian beers and um, that were very different to the Australian beers. But then, you know, and I dabbled in brewing. I did some home brewing, and I went to the brew for use and things. But my personality was never. I, I realized very quickly that 
there is a precision and you need to be willing to do the same thing over and over and over again to make good beer. And there was, so I never felt the calling to make beer and I've just always loved learning about the process. So what was it about the discovery that you loved beer that led to you wanting to make it rather than just enjoy drinking it? I think it's a bit like you. It's that, for me, it's that love of learning, which I've always had. So I was just so curious about like how do you make how do you make beer and what goes into it and I was really like I get blown away just by how technical it was and I remember uh, being in a lecture and um, Peter Aldred from Ballarat University going you know this is harder than winemaking and I was like what I thought this was <laughs> going to be an easy gig like what are you talking about and I think it was I didn't understand that precision and that is required until I learnt, started learning about brewing. And I think that's part of the challenge of it as well is to you are working with uh, variable ingredients because you do have barley seasons, you do have hop seasons. There is variability each year and you have to, with those um, beers that you're brewing all year round, try and bring consistency to it. Um, which is a challenge and I think that's part of the the art of beer and the science of beer so yeah overall it's just that that love of learning and wanting to understand it far more um, to start to start to learn how to brew and I actually hadn't even before I enrolled in the um, brewing qualification and was accepted I actually hadn't home brewed so I got accepted and I thought I think I should do a homebrew. <laughs> That's what this is all about. So um, one of my fr- um, my best friend's grandfather took me through my first homebrew, uh, which was a great experience to share with him. So I did start homebrewing after <laughs> it, I started my course. But even that's interesting, you know, like you, you mentioned Peter Aldred and so saying that, you know, beer is harder than making the wine, and we'll get emails uh, about that from winemakers. But I, you know, <laughs> you know sorry, Peter, sorry. <laughs> no, no, but but, but I do. Um, that, that, that's a story that I often recount in in, in beer tastings. You know, I sort of say, yeah, you know, very conspiratorially to the crowd. You know, don't tell winemakers this, but wine is an accident of nature. You know, you crush a grape, and the yeast on the outside will ferment the sugars on the inside. And you know, winemakers have made that art of the variability of the seasons and so every vintage is going to be a little different and they're just guiding the wine to become what it can whereas brewers as you say it's far more technical that you know you've got the vagaries of the seasons but the consumer expectation is that the beer is going to taste the same every time regardless of that which is a in some ways a harder challenge and I'm reminded of Anthony Bourdain who you know talks about people who love cooking at home and you know they spend a week selecting the ingredients and planning the menu Mm. and then having a dozen friends around and they have such a nice night that you know they say you should open a restaurant and then that person goes and opens a restaurant and realizes they hate it because you don't get that one-off creation you have to make 150 covers a night of that same dish and everyone has to be the same and then you have to come in the next night and make it the same way and to me brewing is like chefing in that sense you there is a creative element but you still have to give the same experience every night when people come back for their favorite dish Definitely, and I think I was I was really fortunate with the teachings of um, Peter Aldred because I can remember our first face-to-face um, lecture. We were doing a residential school in Ballarat and he really said, like, are you all prepared for this 
this is a business. It's, you know, kind of shattering those romantic illusions of um, potentially what we thought brewing was. He's like, this is a business. So you are going to be cleaning, you know, 90% of the time. <laughs> are you prepared to brew the same beer over and over and over again? Because that's your, you know, it might be a pale ale and that's your bestseller and that's what you're going to have to be prepared to do like most days rather than those creative brews that you want to do. So he very early on for um, for us in that course kind of gave us the realities of brewing, um, but it didn't deter me. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and, and I guess that's what I was, uh, my initial question was, we, we both had a very similar interest, but our, I, I, you know, I don't want to sort of psychoanalyze you or anything, but you know there, there were parts of my personality that just didn't want to do that. Like I don't like doing that, you know, infinite re- replicability of of things day in day out. We, 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 did it match your personality to do it? What, what did you want to do when you I, left school, for example? I was I was just going to say I don't know if it, I've never really thought about it, and now I feel like I want to analyze my personality. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've just noticed that there are a lot of, in, in, in home brewing particularly and so in brewing, you don't get a lot of lawyers um, dropping out of their law firm and taking up brewing, but you get a lot of computer programmers, you get a lot of you know people with a science background, you get a lot of people with a maths background. Um, and I, I always think that there is something about those things that have that same sort of precision. And I mean, maths one and one always equals two. Um, mm-hmm. You don't get many philosophy graduates um, <laughs> becoming brewers because you know. And, and I'm just sort of wondering whether there is a function of personality in that. Mm. Well, I will. I will tell you about when I left school. So uh, when I left school, I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do. But my parents were just really encouraging. So I knew I wanted to go to university. My parents were just like, just go and do whatever interests you and you'll find you you'll find your path eventually. So I was very interested in music. I play the violin. So I enrolled in um, a Bachelor of Arts. My major was musicology, so music history and theory. So what you're saying about maths probably ties in because when you analyse music, it's actually very mathematical Um, and there's just a lot of, there's a lot of maths. There can be a lot of maths and patterns and numbers um, in it when you analyse it. So I did that and then I also tacked on, um, I was very interested in um, history. So I did European studies um, as my second major because I was just kind of kept picking up subjects that I was really interested in. And I think doing that degree has um, really held me in good stead because my brewing qualification was a postgraduate degree, so I needed to do an undergraduate degree. And it didn't matter that it wasn't in science or one of those, I guess, traditional fields for brewing because they just wanted to see that you you could do a degree. So, yeah, I think part of that, that mathematics is tied in with the music side of it because it can be very analytical. Okay. That's what led you to be a brewer. You were the chief steward um, at the RAS. What was your first brewing job? Uh, and, and did you apply for many before you got your first uh, first chance? So my first, I'm going to say inverted commas, brewing job was actually – 
for CUB or Foster's Group as it was then. I worked at their cidery at Campbelltown in um, Sydney, which was the Bulmer Cidery. So at the time there, at that time in Sydney, there wasn't a lot of breweries that were open. So there weren't, um, it's not like it is today. So there weren't a lot of opportunities. So I worked at um, Campbelltown doing quality control and a bit of fermentation management. And that really gave me a really good grounding in understanding quality aspects of um, production, food safety, HACCP, all those kind of things, and the importance of those kind of things in the brewing process, or in this case, it was cider. And I also learned how to make cider, which I had no idea about beforehand. <laughs> so, And they, they were really looking for someone who understood fermentation because um, they're like, we can teach you all the rest of the things. So that was a really fantastic learning opportunity. And then from there, um, a position became available at, I was about to say Malt Shovel, no, Matilda Bay in Port Melbourne as a brewer. So I moved down to Melbourne in 2012 and took up that position. You had a great young team down there. I'm trying to think, that, um, Chloe was there at that stage? Chloe was there at that stage. She's gone on to do many fantastic things. Tim was there as well. So Tim's gone on to, um, I think he's currently the brewing leader at Little Creatures Geelong. Dennis um, is now heading up Little Creatures San Francisco. Uh, Scott Vinson was there. And then um, the great pops, Neil, who's now at Stonewood. Yeah, so I really feel like Matilda Bay was almost like an apprenticeship. So it was, I'd finished my brewing degree. I knew kind of the theory of everything, but I hadn't really done the practical side of things. So it was like my opportunity to learn the hands-on aspects of brewing. And it really introduced me to that like the Melbourne brewing scene at the time, I really had, I had no idea. Like, you know, I remember Chloe saying about Good Beer Week and I was like, what are you talking about, Good Beer Week? She's like, you must have heard about Good Beer Week. I'm like, nope. And so going to my first Good Beer Week was just this whole magical week of, you know, beers from all around the place and meeting brewers and going to masterclasses and all these fantastic things. So it, I really do feel like that time was almost like, my apprenticeship into the industry. And I guess that's one of the things being a, a brewer is, you know, and, and being a brewer at that time without the vast number of breweries that we're experiencing now, you had to move to try and find work. So you had to move from Sydney down to Melbourne to, to take up that opportunity? Yes, very much so. Like, as I said, Sydney, so when I left Sydney, there was not one brewery in Marrickville. <laughs> as i said if you think in dog years we're talking about a really long expanse of time over this conversation i i'm amazed at how much marrickville let alone the rest of sydney has grown but that's kind of what the scene was at that time there was there was um you know maybe three or four breweries in sydney at that time when i lived here yeah the brewing scene was vastly different to what it is now i was really taken when i spoke to dave up at Townsville Brewery up at the uh, Tiny Mountain Brewery 
he mentioned uh, and the idea of you know everything you learn is a tool in your toolbox um you know through all of the different experiences you have and he started on the packaging line um if i'm remembering that correctly and there's always things that you can bring in what you know what what did you learn at the Matilda Bay Brewery, because um, you had a great range of people. I mean, Scott Vincent is just just such an experienced brewer who has brewed, uh, you know, right across um, the, the, the CUB um, range. You've got Pops, who is great with young brewers. You know, what, what did you learn from some of those older, um, but, and hopefully Scott's not upset that I describe him as being older? <laughs> I think what I learned was definitely about different uh, beer styles, because at that point, like, we were um, brewing so many different styles. And I guess just some of that technical knowledge, like, you know, what uh, Pops could just look at anything and just go, yep, that needs to be tweaked this way or that way. Um, so just that breadth of technical knowledge, as we said before, to consistently keep putting out brews of a consistent quality was just amazing. Going back to the Anthony Bourdain and the and the chefs and brewers are being chefs. It, it, it's funny. Chefs seem to have you, you get some interesting personalities being drawn into the chefing world, and you hear some horrible stories of you know some very confined spaces, uh, lots of pressure, and people with knives. Um, and <laughs> some, um, what, what what is it like being on the brewing floor? You know, with, with the personalities. You know, because I, I think of someone like um, Pops is just such a calm influence who you know really takes young brewers under their wing is that the correct perception or is working on a on a brew deck a little bit more like working in an angry kitchen no not at all not at all i think i've worked in any brewery that's like an angry kitchen (laughs) uh it's in my experience, I think most of the time it is calm and usually if something's going wrong, there's someone who's around to give you a hand with what's happening. So it's it's usually a calm, well-organised workplace, not too many clashes of personality or anything like that. Yep. And everyone kind of knows what they need to do for the day. So how long were you at, and I was going to say Malt Shovel as well, how long were you <laughs> at the Matilda Bay Brewery in, uh, in Port Melbourne? So I was at Matilda Bay, I think it was approximately two years, and then unfortunately it was closed down. So um, it was a bit of a shock at the time because we weren't expe- we weren't expecting that to happen. Uh, but, you know, a bit like um, what you're saying before about tools and experience, I guess it's like every opportunity has, as cliche as it is, that silver lining. And from Matilda Bay, I was actually able to secure a role at Little Creatures in Geelong. So another move, but another brewery and another fantastic experience. And that would have been just as they, you know, uh, as beers like Furphy were were, were first being brewed, White Rabbit uh, Brewery would have been coming in there at about the same time. Yeah, so the Rabbit Brewery wasn't quite in when I started. Uh, but when I started, yes, it was, it was, it felt quite small because I think there was probably only maybe about 12 or 15 brewers at the time and we were only on um, two shifts then and um, I think the brewery had only been in exist, you know functioning for about a year so um, in my time there yes rabbit came in about I think it was about eight months after I started so I was part of the commissioning team for that which was a fantastic opportunity to be part of a commissioning team and you know the introduction of the full barrel program um, 
because I had dabbled in a bit of barrel work before, but this was going to be barrels on a larger scale. And I think one of the, one of the most fantastic things about uh, creatures in Geelong is the the rotations that the brewers do. So you'll spend, you know, it could be anywhere between six months or 12 months in a particular um, section, whether it's packaging or cellars or brewing, and it just really gives you the time to focus on that area specifically so you can just really build those skills and that knowledge in that particular aspect of brewing. And I was uh, fortunate when I was there to one of my rotations was um, a position that we dubbed Master of Cellars, which was basically fermentation brewer, and that coincided with the big cellar upgrade. So that was when we put in um, the, you know, like something like 10 new 800-heck fermenters and a couple of new bright beer tanks, and suddenly overnight the cellar was very full of beer and it was a very steep learning curve because I thought I thought I knew fermentation <laughs> and I thought I knew how yeast behaved and suddenly I realised I, I didn't really know. <laughs> so it really sparked this whole new learning um, aspect for me of like being interested in fermentation and yeast and all the wonderful things they do and it's not just, you know, putting yeast in and it does its thing and you get beer at the end. It's There's a whole science behind fermentation which I probably hadn't really understood or um, given it the respect it deserves. So it was a really fantastic summer of huge expansion because then we all, I think we also then at that point went to three shifts. So it was 24-hour production and Furphy was definitely expanding and whatnot. So it was very, that particular summer was very busy, but I learned so much about fermentation and that's stayed with me since then. It's interesting you say that about fermentation because when you're brewing, are you ever really in control of the process or are you just trying to keep up with the process? That is a really interesting question. I'd like to think you're in control because you're constantly monitoring what's going on. So you've got a very, you know, very clear indication quite early on if something's not right with what you're producing. But that's the thing, you know, can you just, <laughs> but monitoring it, um, even the way that you say that makes it sound like you're trying to keep up with what the yeast is doing. It's, you know, so you can head it off before it goes off track, but you're not actually, like you can't just sort of control the process in the sense that, well, if I do this, I know that this is going to happen. You just need to make sure that, all along the way that it's turning out the way that you anticipated. I would probably agree that you're trying you're trying to make sure it's turning out the way you anticipate. And then I think if it's not, you're trying to work out what's happened and how can you correct it or prevent it from happening again. Which again isn't you know, <laughs> that, that 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 musical you know <laughs> that 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 math thing that if you if you follow a pattern you know what's going to happen next yeah. it, it sort of sounds like you can you, you need to understand the pattern but it doesn't necessarily work out that way not always <laughs> <laughs> so well, I like to think we're in control but you know we're probably the yeast is probably more in control than we are as brewers. <laughs> a lot of our listeners um, are, are what we call prosumers, you know, those people who um, are consumers at the moment but are either have a brewery in planning or are considering going into, in, into the brewing um, industries in, in, in some way. 
What are the career progressions for a brewer? Um, obviously, if you open your own brewery, you are everything. But it sounds like your career progression, both through CUB and Matilda Bay and then into um, Little Creatures and now at Malt Shovel, um, you've had the advantages of a little bit more of a formal um, career progression? Um, I think that's a really interesting question because I didn't really, I didn't really, I guess, have a career path in mind apart from being a brewer. So I've, one of the things I really hate is that five-year question of what's your five-year career plan? Because I pretty much got asked that as soon as I became a brewer. And I thought, <laughs> hang on, it's taken me five years to get here. Can I just, <laughs> can I can I just, just enjoy en- this? Can I just enjoy this moment? <laughs> and to me, there's also nothing wrong with just going, I just want to be a really great brewer. Like I just want to keep, you know, you don't just do a degree and know everything. There's so much more to learn um, as you go through and just keep you know, brewing every day. So uh, for a long time, I'm just like, I just want to be a good brewer. And uh, my my leader at uh, Little Creatures Geelong, who is so encouraging, Miles is such an encouraging person, and he was very much um, like, you know, I think the philosophy at Little Creatures was very much we just want, we just want everyone to be the best they can be. But again, of course, I could ask, what's your five-year career plan? I'm like, I just got here. I just want to be a great brewer. And so for me, I hadn't really thought about their, like various career paths or other roles within the business. And it actually wasn't until my last year or so at Geelong where I kind of started thinking, actually, I would like to run a brewery. I'd like to be in charge and run a brewery and understand all the aspects that come with running a brewery so yeah for me it's only been that last kind of 12 months 18 months where I've really started to have not so much the five-year career plan but what's the next opportunity that I wanted to go for. So your your current role is the the lead brewer at Malt Shovel uh, Brewery what what's the what, what does that job encompass? Basically, I'm in charge, (laughs) (laughs) is how I put it to people. I'm in charge. So I, uh, all the brewers uh, report through to me. So I'm responsible for them and very much um, wanting, you know, kind of pay back the things that I've been taught. I want them to be the best they can be. And, yeah, I'm responsible the day of the day running the brewery. So um, making sure the team has everything they need to do their jobs. So that can be, my days can be very varied. Um, It can be anything from making sure we've got enough uh, malt in, raw materials, doing the scheduling, doing the yeast management, uh, doing quality audits, making sure where everything's fine with compliance, uh, scheduling calibrations, everything, everything and anything. It, it, it sounds like um, in almost any career as you go from, um, you know, for example, being a journalist to being an editor to being a managing editor, the, the more you go along, the, the, the further you removed are from the thing it, itself. It, you know, do you get to be hands-on and develop recipes and, and make beer or is it the managing of, you know, more the conductor with all of the different instruments and you're making sure that it all creates a harmonious uh, conclusion? At the moment, it is very much as the conductor. Uh, But one of the great things about 
malt shovel is that uh, we have a very active, it's called the mini kit. So it's a small, you know, 50 litre kit. And that is basically being used, you know, every week. So the brewers are constantly putting things, putting new brews through the mini kit, um, playing with different ideas and whatnot so that we can look at what our bigger releases are going to be for either later in the year or um, even into next year. And just that thing of being able to play and go what works and what doesn't work. So um, I'm very much hoping to clear some time in my schedule to get onto the mini kit. Um, (laughs) But I've been, you know, I've been heavily involved with the brewers who have been, you know, doing the brewing, so working with them on their recipe development, their ideas, tasting the beers what's worked what hasn't worked what could we do differently next time what would we keep the same that kind of thing so that's one of the things I absolutely just love about malt shovel is how much experimentation is going on and new product development is going on at the brewery and literally is you know that tagline of there's something always brewing is so true because it's a really it's almost feels like a quiet week when we're not doing something new what are the challenges, though, if you love, you know, and I was just thinking of some of the um, beers you name-checked at the start when you talked about the beers that you said, wow, I didn't think beer could taste like that, which was the meantime coffee and fruit lambics. Um, you know, it, it sounds like on the 50-litre kit you could just knock out anything that you wanted. But what are the challenges in terms of being part of a larger brewery and, you know, you, you you can't you need beer that sells and you know Chuck is famous for saying you know you can't make anything that too extreme that somebody doesn't want a second and maybe a third pint of it um, you know did, is there a frustration in having to service a large market um, when you want to be creative I don't, I don't feel like it's a frustration because I think we very much understand that you need those you need those two aspects. So you need to have those beers that sell and those core range beers that, you know, like the Malt Shovel XPA, those kind of go-to standard beers that we really do love. And then you also have that other side of it where, um, you know, we do those one-off beers where we do get to experiment. And they're not, they're not always necessarily big you know, different beers. It just might be different to what our core range beers are. So I don't feel the frustration because I feel like we we get to do both and that's so fantastic and so exciting. Funnily enough, the first time I ever tried a, you know, like a barrel age or, you know, like an Australian um, particularly, but it was the Malt Shovel Rum Barrel Porter, um, (laughs) which, God, I can't even... That would have been 2002, 2003. Um, I remember that beer. <laughs> yeah, I know. And we, funnily enough, we were only talking about it um, the other day at the brewery. Uh, you, I haven't stumbled on a scoop, have I? No, nope, <laughs> no, no scoop. We were just reminiscing. We were just reminiscing <laughs> oh, about past, past beers. Oh, okay, so not, not potential future beers. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, keeping the, keeping those well quiet. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Um, <laughs> I, I won't dig too deeply because um, I know that I can never get it out of Chuck either. So, um, how is it working with Chuck? Because you know, like just yesterday, I we, we, we released a conversation with Dermot O'Donnell, who's had fifty years in the uh, the industry, and we joke about how long, um, you know, the, the dog years involved 
in, in what we've been doing, and it's you know twenty years, um, if that. Um, you know, again, Chuck's been around brewing since the eighties. What? But but his passion and enthusiasm is undiminished. Mm. It, just in one word, it is so it's so fantastic to to work with Chuck. So for um, me coming back to Sydney and to come back to this role at Milk Shovel, it honestly felt like a bit of a homecoming because Milk Shovel was one of the few breweries that were was open in Sydney when I lived here and when I started studying and it was somewhere I had aspired to work at and I just had so much respect for Chuck and I I feel really privileged to I kind of view it as being the current custodian of Malt Shovel because it has such a rich history and I'm in the very fortunate position that so many of those brewers who have previously you know, been in charge of the brewery or, in Chuck's case, founded the brewery, are still very much in my day-to-day working life. So um, obviously Chuck's there and Rob Freshwater and Chris Sheenan and Hayden Morgan and, you know, they're my peers and my leaders at the moment. So I have this, like, great resource of information to draw upon and to support me and you couldn't ask for a better opportunity. And just Chuck's, as you said, Chuck's knowledge and passion are just amazing. I could just listen to him all day. I always feel like any conversation I have with him, I walk away knowing more. Um, and having a bit more knowledge about something than I did before I spoke to him. Do you dread Chuck going overseas on one of his skiing trips and coming back with ideas and taking no, over? No, <laughs> I love it. I love it because he comes back and he's really, um, well, one, he brings beers back for us to try, which is always great. Um, and no, I love it because he comes back and he's got um, ideas and can tell us about the beers he's tasted and, you know, it's quite different obviously from reading about it to having someone explain the taste to you and talk about current trends um, on the ground and talk about brews he's been to. So, no, it's always, there's no dread. It's always a learning opportunity. And I ask that question because I get so much of current trends from speaking to Chuck whenever he's been overseas because he is just such a, you know, it well into his 70s he's um you know has the enthusiasm that a lot of the beer geeks have to try new things you know he doesn't yes. necessarily embrace them all um but he's certainly interested in them all yeah he's definitely definitely got his eye on on trends and on the industry which is yeah fantastic quite apart from your brewing role um you're also the current president of the pink boots society tell us a little bit about uh, your involvement in pink boots yes pink boots so pink boots is um, for those of your listeners who may not know, is a not-for-profit organisation who's uh, we're open to any woman who earns any part of her income from beer. So not it's not just brewers. It's it's anyone. It's any woman who, if she's a maltster or a hopster or involved with yeast or sales and marketing, hospitality, any of those roles, it's open to any of those women. And I guess our aim is to empower women through education. So we have a range of education programs, scholarships, uh, brew days and whatnot. So my involvement really came about um, with that move to Melbourne, with that introduction to to the beer community, I met amazing female brewers. So I knew um, Sam Puss 
when she was based in Sydney at the same time as I was. And Sam was fantastic because I used to actually go on my days off from the RAS and go and brew with Sam and started to get some hands-on experience. So then when I moved to Melbourne, uh, Sam was there and Jane Lewis, Kira Lee and Karen Golding and Tiff, and they all had just started, I think, a couple of years before that, the Women of Beer group, and then that became the Pink Boots Society in Australia. So Pink Boots originally started in US and um, Jane had started a local chapter in Australia. So I started getting involved in um, a couple of the Pink Boots meetings and in different brew days that we had, and I just got so much out of it. It was just, just so nice to kind of to go, oh, I'm not, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only female. It's so fantastic. So uh, three years ago, um, Jane stepped down as president and I, I really felt like I wanted to be part of the change. So I nominated myself and I was accepted as the president. And I've really just had two big motivators in my time as being president. And that was kind of, I really wanted to, harness that power of the network because we've got there's so many amazing women in the industry and they have so many skills and so much knowledge and experience and I really wanted for those women to be able to start connecting and to really share their knowledge and tell their story because I really just didn't want any woman to have that feeling of oh, I thought I was the only one and I can still I still sometimes meet women um, now who kind of go oh I thought I thought I was the only one I didn't realize it was this whole group of fantastic women so that's kind of been like my main motivator is to connect all these women and um to be able to share our knowledge and our experiences and i i, I guess you know like I, i've observed the i've known kiralee as long as i've known you so you know so very early into seeing the way that she has championed participation in beer and it's hard being in in the sense of being a white middle-aged man you'll never completely understand what the journey is like for women in the, the brewing industry um but i'd really direct anyone uh to listen to the very very long podcast that we did with terry farrendorf mm. uh, two years ago which we had broke into three episodes because it was just such an insight into the the, the brewing industry from the founder of the pink boots organization but how, how have you found working in, in in the brewing industry have you found that there are um barriers to you or you know it has been a process of isolation? I think there's definitely times where it's felt isolating when I have been the only female in a in a workplace and that can at times feel isolating. But, you know, that's, that is really changing with the number of females in the workplace. And I think it's it's been more so I often get, you know, get asked the question if someone's, visiting a site and this has happened at numerous sites I've been at and I always get asked the question of what do you do (laughs) and I say oh I'm a brewer it's like oh yeah okay but what do you actually do (laughs) like I brew the beer it's like oh but you just do the admin or it's like no no you see that person over there I do the exact same job as them and it's like oh okay um I think in terms of barriers one of the things I've been really passionate about working on is actually manual handling because this might not be an exciting topic but manual handling is so important and I actually um, 
did some work when I was at Little Creatures Geelong because it's important for everyone because I always think I I still want to be brewing when I'm a lot older. So I want to be like Pops or like um, Chuck Hahn and I, I still want to be brewing at their age. And you cannot do that if you do yourself an injury. So regardless of gender, manual handling is actually important for everybody. So there were a couple of things I introduced at um, Little Creatures Geelong to make to make everyone's job easier. So I think that's actually one of the things I'm most proud of is that I actually have a winch that we used um, to to lift a filter housing and um, the winch is actually engraved with my name. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I couldn't do it because mainly because of my height, but I was just like, if I can't do this, there's got to be other people here who can't do this task. And so then a group of us kind of looked at it and like, we've already got winches in place. Let's just put another one in. So I feel like manual handling can be a barrier um, to the industry and it's something I'm really, as I said, very passionate about because I think we should all be taking care of ourselves and it's not it's not a gender issue. We all need to be looking after our health and whatnot. That's a that's a really interesting way of putting it, um, and it, it, it's a great point um, because I, I was actually picking up a little bit earlier on the perception that people are surprised that a woman's uh, working and brewing um, in, in the same way that quite often you hear stories of people being surprised that a woman is ordering a beer in a bar, and you know they're the perceptions that we really need to change. To, to make the industry as a whole more inclusive, not just for workers, but that it, it is a, a, a very inclusive industry is one of the things that I often pick up. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I still also get asked when I say that I'm a brewer, it's like, oh, do you actually like beer? Yeah, that, 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 which is the point <laughs> I'm making. And Yeah, exactly. So I think there's a lot around language as well and um, changing the language we use and, uh, and you know, uh, not asking those questions, getting, getting rid of those perceptions. And it's, it's interesting about how they came up because, like, I, I'm always amazed that when you see a lot of beer ads in, you know, like even the 40s and 50s, it's a husband and wife sitting down both having a beer. So, so I don't know at what point, you know, beer really did become this blokey, um, you know, uh, gendered product, but you know, I, I don't. I, I don't know that this podcast is, is is the way to do it. But it, it's just a really interesting perception that it, you know I, I always find intriguing. I think I think you've just given yourself a topic for another. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm sure I could, we can find plenty of people to um, go through that history. So I feel like you've given yourself another topic. Now, I'll, I'll take up that challenge. But if anyone is listening, and, and we, we do have um, you know, either surprisingly or unsurprisingly a, um, you know, a, a large number of female listeners, but if they're not already involved in Pink Boots, how can they find out more? And, and, and you've already said that it's if you earn any part of your income um, from beer. Yep, so probably the easiest way is to uh, just find us on Facebook. So um, we are the Pink, Bo- uh, Pink Boots Society Australia on Facebook. Um, so find us there and you can send us a direct message and whatnot and we can get in touch. That's the easiest way to do it. So just as we, we, we finish off, what's next for Ali McDonald? <laughs> what's the five-year what's plan? What's the five-year plan? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't want to put it that way. <laughs> I actually only got asked this the other day. 
Um, so five, well, not so much five-year plan. I, I really only recently started at Malt Shovel. It's only been six months, but it's been a big, big six months. Uh, so really, I just want to focus on my role there and really develop the team and, uh, yeah, just go back to that, be the best I can be and help everyone on my team to be the best we can be and just produce some fantastic beers and I can't wait for the next Malt Shovel Brewers releases to come out. Um, yeah, all the beers are definitely about us and we all have our avatars and whatnot and we're very much the face of the beers so I can't. I just can't wait for our next releases to come out. You can't give us any hints? I tried to get it out of you before. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I'll leave that to the uh, to the marketing team. But you did say that you felt that you wanted to actually run a brewery, and I guess you've got that opportunity in writ large um, at the moment. But will we ever see the McDonald Brewery open? You know, in in, in a town uh, near you. Look, never say never. But I think I learnt very quickly during my brewing degree that I didn't necessarily want to own a business. <laughs> I have a lot of respect for business owners. It's a really – and brewery owners because that's what they're doing. They own a business. It is a really tough job owning any small business regardless of the industry. And I just wanted to focus on on brewing the beer and whatnot. So I've been, you know, I've been given fantastic opportunities. I've been successful in applying for fantastic opportunities and I'm really happy where I am at the moment and just being able to focus on producing great beers. Ali McDonald, thank you very much for joining me for this conversation. Thank you so much. It's been fantastic. And that was my conversation with Ali McDonald. We mentioned in that chat the long conversation I had a couple of years ago with Pink Boots founder Terry Farendorf. If you'd like to learn more about Pink Boots, I'd highly recommend you listen to that chat. It was a really, really powerful chat I had with her. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cry Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Cry Malt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. Your premium brewing partner and proud sponsors of this, and this is Beer as a Conversation. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. 